Start with Jesus. Here's our big idea. In everything I think, say, and do, I start with Jesus. We do this every week. Let's read it together. In everything I think, say, and do, I start with Jesus. One more time, a little bit louder. In everything I think, say, and do, I start with Jesus. Here's the crux of this whole deal. If you're going to know how Jesus would act and how Jesus would speak and what Jesus would do, then you've got to get inside God's word. Amen? It's hard for us to follow an example that we know not of. So as we're going through the book of Luke, we're discovering what Jesus would do in situations. And it's, it, it's something for you and I to apply to our lives to simply walk out. So today we're going to travel down through 14 verses, but two stories. We're going to talk about the story of the leper being healed of his disease. And then we're going to talk about the one man who had four friends who had one goal, which was to get him to Jesus so that he can be healed. Okay, so two stories. I normally don't do that, but I think they go together. And then next week we'll come back and talk about something else. The Bible says in verse 12 of Luke chapter 5, And it happened that when he was in a certain city, that behold, a man who was full of leprosy. Everyone say full of leprosy. He was full of leprosy and he saw Jesus. Now let's just stop here for a moment. Let's understand that Luke is saying here that he didn't just have leprosy, which we'll define that here in just a moment, but he was full of it. He was a leper who had what would be called his advanced stages of leprosy. Now, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you would know in Leviticus chapter 13 and 14, where it speaks about leprosy, and you will know, according to the Bible, that there were two classes of it, and it's important for us to understand. The first class was a general term to describe a variety of skin diseases all under the branch of leprosy. So you would see someone and they would have stuff going on on their skin and they would say, okay, he has a stage of leprosy. The second stage though was far worse. The second stage, literally the leprosy would attack the body. It would attack the nervous system and, and limbs, meaning fingers and toes and noses and stuff would literally fall off of the person's body. The leper that we're talking about in the story today is at that stage. And the reason that is so important is because it helps us understand the depth and, and the willingness that he had, that he wanted to be healed by Jesus because it was so far advanced. I thought about putting pictures up on the screen, but every time I do and I look at, man, it just it just breaks me. It's just really hard to look at. But just imagine seeing someone walking around in this time where their body is so deformed. And because they are so deformed and because they have leprosy, no one wants anything to do with them. That's how bad it was for this guy. Matter of fact, in that day, if anybody was to come close to you in that time and they couldn't see your leprosy, but you had leprosy, according to the custom and the law, they would literally have to shout out, unclean, unclean. In other words, don't come near to me. If you come near to me and you make contact with me, the leprosy will go onto you. That was the type of leprosy that this man had. So the story goes on in, in, in verse 12 that he sees Jesus, and then it says at the end of verse 12, and he fell on his face, and he implored him saying, Lord, now watch this word, if, everyone say if. Notice there's a little bit of like hesitancy here. And you have to understand his life to understand why he would be that way. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. 
Now, I want us to pause for a moment, and I want us just to understand, and I want us to feel what this guy is feeling. Think about the desperation and the situation that he's in, that he's been in for who knows how long, and he's doing something that he should not be doing. If you were a leper, you were an outcast from society. We, we know the story, we'll get to it here in a little bit in the book of Luke, the, the story of the woman with the issue of blood. For 12 years, she had a sickness, a disease, and nothing could cure it. She went to every doctor, got every bit of advice, but for 12 years couldn't do it. And because of her disease and her sickness, she was an outcast, not even able to be out in the limelight of society in any way. Understand that what this, I mean, just, just bring it into your life. Imagine if you had something that was deteriorating your body and you were looked at as lesser than because of it, because of the sin in your life or the sin of your parents, the amount of desperation you would feel if you were this guy. And he, he we don't know if he heard of Jesus up until this point, but he, he has to know of him because he sees him and he utters these words. He says, if he's desperate. So then the, poor, the, the story picks up in verse 13. Then he being Jesus, he put out his hand and he touched him. If you like underlining your Bible or certain, that's important. He touched him saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And then the Bible says immediately the leprosy, it left him. Now, if we pause again for the story, can you imagine now not what he's thinking, but now imagine what the crowd is thinking? Because Jesus just did something that you were simply not supposed to do. You're going to see this progression, especially as we gather on Sundays and in your groups. You're going to see the, the progression that from these two stories right here, from the leprosy of the man being healed, from the lame man on his mat coming down, that from this point on, you're gonna notice the religious leaders at this point start the attack of Jesus. You wanna know why? Because right here, Jesus does something that he should not do according to these people who would much rather a person be left in a place of sickness then be healed by God. It's from this very story right here that the criticism of Jesus begins. And it's important to note because it's only going to intensify as we go. So think about this. You're not supposed to touch a person with leprosy. Jesus doesn't. They believe the leprosy would come upon him. So Jesus though doesn't think this. Number one, because he's Jesus. Look at your neighbor real quick and say, duh, he's Jesus, right? Jesus doesn't think like they think. You guys are like, man, when's the last time I said, duh? Well, if you're an 80s, 90s kid, you learned it from the Simpsons and you said it all the time. You're welcome. But anyways, they wouldn't have done that. Now think of, now, now there's the crowd. Think of what Jesus would have felt. Think of what the crowd feels. But now let's go back to the leper. How would you feel? Listen, we all know what it's like to get a nice handshake from someone. A nice fist bump. A nice hug. Physical touch. We don't know how old this guy was, but I can tell you the one thing he didn't have was any type of physical touch. Let me ask you a question. Could Jesus have spoken a word and said you're healed and never touched him? Of course he could, he's Jesus. Why does he touch him? Just cause? Jesus understood that he had in that moment a captive audience. And right from the beginning of his ministry, after the calling of the disciples, which we talked about last week, Jesus already starts to set the example for those 
watching around him. We know that he's got disciples with him because we learned that last week. Jesus in the moment is doing what he always does, the great teacher, the great rabbi, and he's starting to develop these disciples to let them know that what they think is normal and what is status quo in the kingdom of God, the true kingdom of God, it is not that way. This man right here not only needed to be, to be healed of his sickness, he needed to feel what it was like for someone to say, I don't give a rip about what they think. I love you and I'm for you. And I don't care that this disease is brought to you by your sin or by your parents' sin because that's what they thought in those days. If you had a sickness, it was because of sin in your life or it was generational. And Jesus was saying, I don't care what they think. You asked me if I would be willing to heal you. And I am. So Jesus reaches over and he touches him and he's healed. Let's pick up verse 14. Now this strikes me. And he charged him, speaking of the man with leprosy, to tell no one. Fascinating. Underline that, circle that. We'll come back to that. But go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as a testimony to them just as Moses had commanded. Now when I read that, I had to stop and I kind of scratched my head a little bit. That's just a phrase for saying, I don't quite understand why Jesus, not only this time, but multiple times in the Bible, would tell people specifically, go and tell no one. Remember the woman at the well? Remember her? Didn't Jesus tell her, don't go tell anybody? What's the first thing she did? <laughs> she ran back into the city and told everybody. I don't know why in the Bible you see these cool little things, but I'm like, they just completely disobeyed Jesus. Nothing's ever said of it. Like Jesus never came back and said, hey, I told you not to do that. You're in trouble. <laughs> he never did. But it's like, it got me thinking, like, how do you tell a man who literally, let's think about it, if he is healed, what's he healed of? Leprosy. What goes away with leprosy? Fingers, toes, nose, ears. So could we, I don't want to say the word assume, because I learned in third grade what that means by my math teacher, and I'm not going to say it in church. Um, could, could we maybe think about the fact that if he's healed and whole, that limbs started to grow back? If that's what it took from him, why would it not be added back to him? If Jesus can take the ear of a soldier that Peter cut off in the garden and put it back on his ear, Jesus can bring limbs back to a human body. Can you imagine the testimony that would have been said of this story? I was there the day that this unclean leper came to Jesus, asked to be healed, and Jesus healed him. And before my eyes, I swear, he had one toe. He now has five. On one foot, by the way. Then he's got the other one. He's got 10. He's normal. Think of the, of the implications of this taking place. So I find it very hard and hard to understand. Why would Jesus say, do not go and tell anybody? Ponder it for a moment. I mean, if you were cured of a life-threatening disease, how could you not tell someone? Especially this one, they, they can see it. I mean, the story goes, so, uh, hey, uh, what happened to you? Can't say. I mean, what do you mean you can't say? Listen, I saw you last week. You had one finger. You now have five on the right hand. How did that happen? Can't say. Jesus told me not to. You just can't. Like, I know I'm being a little humorous here, but how could you not? Jesus tells him, don't, don't. So, so why does Jesus do this? I just have maybe just two thoughts. You can write them down. They're not points, but they're just thoughts. I, I think a couple reasons may fit. First and foremost is because he didn't want people attracted to him just because he could heal them physically. 
Here's why I believe that. How many times, again, as we just told, did Jesus say, go, don't, don't go tell anybody? Remember the time later on in his ministry where um, they were coming to him because they wanted to be healed, and the Bible says he left and he departed up into the mountains? You guys remember that? If you're Jesus and you're a healer, why would you not just stay and heal everybody? See, I think Jesus was setting a precedence in this story, and he was getting to a deeper issue. The deepest issue any human person has is not the need of a physical healing. It's forgiveness of sin. I think Jesus was saying, or trying to from the very get-go, even though people were completely disobeying him, that although I may heal, and that is a part of the ministry, and especially as the early church launches out, my main objective for coming is not for healing. It's something that I will do. But the biggest condition that human, humans have is forgiveness of sin. Remember, why did Jesus come to this earth? To die for your sin, to die for my sin, so that we could be forgiven, have a blessed life on earth, and when we breathe our last breath here, enter into eternity into heaven. That's the reason Jesus came. So when you read the book of John, and it gives the seven miracles, if you know John chapter 20, verse 31, it says that he did many other signs and miracles, but these seven were written so that you may know that he is the Christ, and that, that believing in him, you would have power in his name. So in the book of John, there's more than seven miracles, but he's saying, here's why I did them, so you would know that I am indeed Jesus, and so that you can have life. After the seventh miracle, he departs up into the hills to pray, to get away, as a way of saying, I'm here for salvation. That's the first reason. The second one is probably a little bit more profound, but it's because the religious elite at this point, they begin to study Jesus, and now they're eyeing him. And Jesus knew this was going to happen. So Jesus was wanting to keep these miracles, not on the download to say they didn't happen, but because he was cognizant of the fact that the religious elite around him would begin to say, this guy's a fraud. And that was a big deal, especially in the prophetic line of Jesus. Now, eventually, Jesus is going to get enough press, and we know they're eventually going to kill him. But I think that's one of the two reasons that he, that he told him not to. Let's pick up the story in verse 15. However, this is after he told him not to. However, everyone say however. However, the report went around concerning him, speaking of Jesus all the more. And then it says, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. In other words, for sickness or disease. So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and there he began to pray. So from this story, here's what we pick up. This isn't the point, but here's story number one, all right? Story number one is a man had a disease that was taking his life. Jesus had compassion. Jesus healed him. Jesus told him to tell no one. Eventually he told someone, and now the multitudes are stacking on top of each other, and everything is getting a lot more crazy. Okay, we all there? All right, let's go to story number two. Verse 17, now it happened on a certain day. This could have been days after, could have been a day after. It just says a certain day. And as he was teaching, there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Verse 18, then behold, men, everyone say men. Now I'm going to pause here. If we read the other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John, we'll see this story again. We know that it's actually four men. Now, Luke, for whatever reason, doesn't say four, but we know it's four. 
Then men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they had sought to bring in and lay before him. Verse 19. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd. Let's pause again. If we read the other translations of this story, we know that it is a full house. It is so full that you would think that there were believers and unbelievers there to hear what Jesus has to say. Would we agree? Okay. Let's just take maybe all of them are no believers. Okay. Let me show you what this house could have consisted of. We know the religious are there. We know because in just a moment, they're going to start to question Jesus. Here's what gets me about the story. We know there's four guys and there's a paralytic and they live in a town which would lead us to believe, especially if you've ever traveled to Israel, you would know that it's not that large. It would lead us to know and to believe that everyone that was there that day probably knew of this paralytic. Now think about this. Four men probably grabbing each side of the mat are gonna pick him up with one goal. We have to get him to Jesus. Because these four men probably heard and saw the miracles that were taking place and think about this, not one person standing by the door, maybe even a multitude of people standing by the door, had any decency to notice that this is the paralytic that they've known about who's being carried by four other guys to get out of the way so that they can bring him to Jesus. The reason this is important for us to understand is because it speaks to a mindset a mindset that says their people are too caught up on what they feel is important not to notice the needs of those around them. And we know this because nobody in their right mind, as we carry on in this verse, look what it says, go up on the housetop. Can't get them through the front door. I've got an idea. Let's climb up on the roof. Does that make sense? Does that sound very difficult? Have you ever had to carry a paralytic up a ladder to get on top of a roof? This is not an easy job. So it says right there that they went up on the housetop and they let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. Now let's stop there. Okay, by the wording here, here's what we can assume. We can assume that this is a Greco-Roman dwelling place, meaning that the type of roof that it was, contrary to what some of us may have been taught, was not kind of like what I would call the cheap way of doing a roof back in the day. This actually would have been a little bit more advanced of a home because it says that they started to take tiles out from the roof so that they can get them there. If it was a Jewish home in Capernaum, no tiles. It would have been thatched. It would have been a mud roof with some branches and some grass and some stuff just packed all together. But that's not the case. It says they removed the tiles from the roof. So imagine you're Jesus. You're inside of a house. You're surrounded by a bunch of people and you start to hear this stuff going on upstairs like this. I tried everything I could to try to pull this off in a live setting by putting somebody up on our roof to do this. But I don't know if you noticed, it's a little steep. And as Robbie and I found out on Christmas, it is not fun to climb, okay? Not fun at all. But think about this. You're teaching the word of God. It's on a certain day. The house is packed. And all of a sudden, you're the person who owns the house. Jesus don't care because Jesus knows what's getting ready to happen. If you're the owner of that home, you're going, who in the world is deconstructing my house right now? the sound starts to go off and all of a sudden it pulls away. Now, 
I don't have time to go into all the details of it because I've been preaching for 23 minutes and five seconds and I want to get done before lunch because I'm really hungry and somebody else is buying today. Bonus. But think about this. You're on a roof. Let's just say it's a small home and most of them are small ceilings. How do you let a guy down on a mat from the roof? Probably a lot of different ways. For those of you that are super smart, you're thinking, well, you can do it this way and that way and that way, but did they have the materials that you have today? Well, I guess what I'm trying to say is, this is not an easy thing to do. Number one, to get him up on the roof. Number two, to remove the roof. Number three, to let him down through the roof. This is an amazing feat. So, it says in verse 20, I love this. It says that when he, this is speaking of Jesus, this is important. I'm going to say it slow. Dramatic pause. Ready? Saw their faith. Let's pause here for a moment. Not the faith of the paralytic. Jesus didn't look at the man on the mat and say, I see your faith. It says Jesus looked at the four men who were letting him down and said, I see their faith. And then he said to him, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Now that's interesting. If you're these four guys, you're probably going, hey, that's cool. But um, Jesus, we were actually hoping you could do the other thing where you like touch him or just speak a word and he walks. The very opening line that Jesus gives is, is like, hey, I see your faith, guys. You guys are good dudes. Hey, by the way, your sins are forgiven. It had to create this moment where the crowd had to go, wait a minute, what? And let me just tell you, they did. In just a moment, it's funny. The religious ones got all caught up on this deal. So think about this. This guy, or these guys, do everything that they possibly can. They spare no expense for one goal, and that's to get this man to Jesus. They get him there. They can't find a shortcut. They got to go down through the roof, and all of a sudden, Jesus starts dealing with stuff. And he says, your sins are forgiven. Now think about this. The first part of this miracle isn't the healing of the paralytic. It's actually the forgiveness of his sins, which we've talked about, which is the the greatest miracle that could ever be performed. Let me tell you why I feel repentance is the greatest miracle that could ever happen. I'm, listen, I'm for people being blind, being prayed over and healed. And I'm just gonna say something, you've heard me say it. I still believe God does miracles today. There's a group of believers who would say that was just for the early church. That was just for the launch of the church. That was so the credibility could be there. I tell you right now, I've seen it with my own eyes. I haven't just heard the stories. I believe God still heals today. Cool. I was hoping there would be an amen on that one. And I say what's so important because as a pastor, I pastor those who question that. It's a tough subject, by the way, to preach on, by the way, huh? How many of you guys have ever prayed for a person who never got healed and died? What do you do with that? Right? Let's talk real talk here for a moment. You guys know me. What do you do with that? What what, what do you do 
when you do everything the Bible says to do so that someone could be healed and they don't get healed. Or they're still living today and they're still in an immense amount of pain. That's definitely a topic for another day, right? Because it takes a lot of time to unpack. So what does Jesus do in this story? Yeah, of course, he heals the paralytic. But he goes straight to the issue of, hey, I want to deal with your sin. So let me ask you this question as we get ready to bring this to a close, okay? Which of these is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? Think about it. Which is easier to say? See, for me, it would be easier to say, your sins are forgiven for this reason. I can't see your sins, right? And you can't see mine. It's all inward. I mean, listen, anybody could say, hey, your sins are forgiven. Listen, I'll give you the option today, when you go out to lunch and a person walks up to you, just randomly say, your sins are forgiven. What are they going to do? Thanks, right? It's easy to do. And you could probably say, cool, what happened? But you know what's really hard? Find somebody who's a paralytic, walk up to him and say, get up and walk. Now we're talking something hard. Why? Because we could see it. So Jesus here begins to have this moment where he's going to, again, not only teach the disciples around him, but a group of people around him. Because all of a sudden, they begin to question this whole idea of who could do this, who could forgive sins, but God alone. So look at verse 22, and then we'll bring this to a close. But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, think about this, they didn't even speak it out. How do you guys know it's dangerous when you're thinking something and Jesus goes, I know what you're thinking. It says, they perceived their thoughts, and he answered, and he said to them, he said, why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or rise up and walk? But then he says, but that you may know that the Son of Man, the very first time it appears in the book of Luke, that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Why does he say, take up your bed? Why not just leave it there? I have another thought. Because he had to roll up that bed, and I guarantee you the whole way home, he was going like, I, I can't believe this is happening. Jesus says, take it up, take it home. He's walking. People know who he is. He's holding his bed. If I'm that guy, I'm taking that bed home, and I'm putting it somewhere in my house. And every time I think I'm going through something tough, I'm going to remember what Jesus did. I think Jesus had him take it, and I'm just kind of leaning into this a little bit, just my opinion. I think Jesus had him take it as a reminder that this wasn't about you. I forgave your sin, but I also healed you. For some of us, if I think about it, we need to have those markers in our lives, and we need to remember those markers in our lives where Jesus set us free. Some of you have stories that are absolutely unbelievable. Some of you in this room have been set free from drugs, from alcohol, from addiction. You were on your way to hell. God saved you. You need to remember that stuff. You need to remind yourself often of what your life was like before Jesus came and got a hold of you and completely turned the whole thing around. And every time I say this respectfully, you have a pity party in life, you remember (laughs) it used to be a lot worse. Jesus saved me. Please don't ever get tired of saying, Jesus 
saved me. If you ever do, get down and pray. Come on, have we just been set free? Come on, is your life a whole lot better than what it was before? All right, cool, I'm just making sure. So Jesus perceives their thought, and he tells them. They're like, okay, cool. He's forgiven. He's set free. Jesus deals with it as Omar comes. Here's my question to you. Every single time that we open up God's word, I'm always answering four questions. You guys, yes, Pastor Rich, I get it. I get it. What are we talking about? Why should it matter? And then we have two questions. What do I need to know? And what do I need to do? So here's my, my thought here. Two stories with two different things. We know about it now. We went verse by verse. We talked about the customs of the day. We talked about the times of the day. We talked about what they would have been thinking, what they would have been saying. We unpacked all of it. I would say like literally when people go, how do you study your Bible? The great part about our church on Sunday mornings is literally in the message, we are actually studying the Bible verse by verse, line by line, precept upon precept. And that's all great. Why? Because the Bible says in the book of Proverbs to do all you can to gain wisdom, instruction, understanding. That's why it's important for us to answer the question, what do I need to know? But more importantly, according to the book of James chapter 1, verse 22 through 24, there's a second question that says, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word, meaning for every person in this place or watching online, you have to be asking yourself right now, okay, what am I supposed to do with this? Anytime I read my Bible, what do I need to know about this? And then what do I need to do about this? That gets you active in your faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So our faith grows when we read the Bible, but here's the deal. We mature in Christ when we do what we are supposed to do. So what do we take away from these two stories? I've got one point per story and they're very simple, but they speak to it. Number one, here's what we get from the story of the leper, that we should, everyone say should, be reaching out to those on the fringes of society with the love of Jesus. Very simple and practical. Reminder, who was the leper? He was on the fringe. He was the one that nobody wanted anything to do with. So what is Jesus saying in the story? Jesus is saying in the story that you are to do as if I do or like I do, and you are to reach out to those that are hurting, that need Jesus, that need the gospel. You know, a lot of you guys know we're a multi-site campus. At one of our locations, we literally have a ministry of women kills me every time of women who in their city they go to the strip clubs at nighttime and they go with roses and flowers and they wait by a back door to minister to strippers <laughs> didn't think you were going to hear that in church today did you the ones that Nobody wants anything to do with or want everything to do with for the wrong reasons. And they go out and they minister to them. We, we have groups that go out and minister to the addicted, the abused, 
the afflicted in our, in our, in our town, in our, in our city, that want people to know about God. And it leads me to ask these questions as believers is, are we speaking into the lives of people who have hurts and habits and hangups in a way that we can point them to Jesus like it was in this story? Or are we so withdrawn from the hurting in our area that it's really just about us? It's about my life. What, what do you say to the, to the young man or the young lady who's strung out on drugs? I'll be praying for you. That's great. But what are you really doing to help them? What, what are you really willing to do for someone who is on the fringe like this leper as a believer? It leads me to think a lot of things. I'll tell you that right now. Like, what should I be doing with my life? What should we be doing as a church? Because Jesus sets this model. Think about this. Are, are we willing to risk being misunderstood for the cause of Christ and playing our part in it? Speaking into the moral issues of the day. Are we willing to do that? Not as a way that we're better than anybody else, but as a way of saying there is a better way. And his name is Jesus. Now, I realize in this point, it can get really complicated. What do we do and don't do, right? But at the end of the day, anytime Jesus saw the hurting and the broken, he was moved with compassion. So maybe the starting point is, is, we, is when we look at those that would be cast off by society, that we would ask the Lord to give us a heart of compassion for them instead of a heart of judgment. Why can't they just pull their life together? Oh, look at them. Instead of seeing them how Jesus would see them as my son or my daughter running from home. It's a heart of compassion. Think about Romans 10, 14. How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? How then shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Don't misunderstand this. This isn't talking about the preacher meeting what I do here. We are all that. So how do they know about God if we're not talking about him and reaching out to them? Got real quiet in here. That's what Jesus is asking us to ponder by the story of the leper. Or maybe you're here this morning or watching online and you feel like you're the leper. Maybe you don't have leprosy, which I'm pretty sure you don't, but you're broken. You're lacking purpose. You're lacking passion. Life seems just aimless. Yes, you're getting up. Yes, you're existing, but there is no real joy. And by the way, don't mistake happiness for joy. They're two different things. God has not come to this earth to make you happy, but he has come to give you joy. Joy in the midst of when things are going great and when things are going bad. So maybe today you're not the person who needs to be like Jesus and to reach out to those. Maybe you're here today and you're the person who's saying, look, man, I am broken. Something is off. I'm here to tell you today, Jesus can fix that and only Jesus can fix that. We're, we're a Jesus church. We believe in the Bible and we believe in Jesus. And maybe you're here today or you're watching online or you're watching the replay and you're like, hey, that's me. I'm actually the broken one. I'm here to play my part today to let you know there's a Jesus who can set you free. There's a Jesus who's for you. You say, well, I don't understand this whole thing. 
Listen, I've been in it for 21 years and I'm still learning things. I don't understand it all either. But I do know Jesus changed my life. What do we learn from the paralytic? Very simply put, point number two, faith is best expresses itself in diligent trust. When you look at this story, put yourself in the place of those four guys. If you're going to go through all that effort, you're trusting that Jesus is going to do something. And these four men were so certain of their faith that if they could just get this man to Jesus, he would be healed. What does this story show us? It shows us that although there are challenges, that being inconvenienced in helping people to get to Jesus is one of the best things that you can do. So many times when a need arises in the life of another, what happens is, is I've done this and maybe you've done this. We settle for, I'm just too busy. I've got too much going on. But what if our lives were built around the fact that people have needs, they're paralyzed in life, and maybe, just maybe, God has brought it to your attention with your eyes and with your ears so that you could be the person to grab a corner of a mat to say, hey, I can take you to the one who could actually help. And sometimes it's going to be very inconvenient. Sometimes it's going to get in the way of your life and what you've got going on. But getting people to Jesus is the most important thing that we can do. Sometimes that could just be stopping to pray for a person on the spot who says, man, I'm struggling, or to have a conversation. Sometimes it's dropping off a meal for someone who's experiencing hard times. Sometimes that's taking someone to a doctor appointment because they have no one else. Sometimes it's covering the cost of a repair on their home because they have so much going on and they're drowning in debt and they have nothing going for themselves what does it look like to be a believer that says man I can love God with all my heart with all my soul with all my mind and man I could be what God's called me to be in the season that I'm in but also at the same time be so outward focused that if someone is hurting I'm willing to say hey God you can count on me I would love to help I pray this prayer often daily. God, give me favor. God, give me wisdom. But thirdly, God, give me the opportunity to do something for someone today who could never repay me. Lord, you put that before me. I'll step through. I might be a little passionate this morning. I don't know if you could tell. And I don't mistake quietness with not getting through. I want you to hear me. Because I could tell on some of your faces, man, you're starting to ponder through what this really looks like in this moment. And it's the prayer of this pastor that you would always lean into God and say, hey, God, what's, what's my part? What's my part in this? Two stories, two different stories, but your part to play. So I just wonder, I just wonder as I do this, this is a sign for I'm done. I just wonder what the Holy Spirit's speaking to you today. What part of the story are you in? Are you the person pointing people to Jesus? Are you the leper who's broken? Are you the paralyzed man on a mat? Are you the four friends saying, I want to live my life to get people to Jesus so they can be set free and healed? What part's yours? Would you stand to your feet? You guys have been wonderful.